0: This talk was reported so, by um, Campus Outreach Minneapolis. We're going to be talking the today about of uh, engaging culture. As a part culture. of the 2021 Summer Lesson Training Project. That. For more information on Summer Training Project or Campus Outreach Minneapolis, visit CO Minneapolis. So we're going to be talking about engaging culture for the next couple of weeks in missional training. And just to reemphasize, the reason we wanted to call it missional training, we actually used to call it evangelism training. I felt like that doesn't fully encapsulate what we're trying to get at. And what we're really trying to get at is you guys spending yourselves for the sake of other people, pouring your life out so that other people would Christ. And um, so we called it ministry training, but ministry training also kind of feels like it's preparing you to do my job. But most of you aren't gonna do that. Most of you are gonna get jobs in the real world. This is the fake world. And that's a really, really good thing. And what we want is for you to be thinking missionally, regardless of whether you come on staff Campus Outreach, which is not most of you, or if you guys go get jobs as engineers and in marketing and all the things, we um, want you guys to be living in So, So we're going to be talking about engaging culture. The, the first two weeks, we really just wanted to cast a vision for you guys of what your life could look like. And there are so many things that we could talk about with engaging culture. Personally, I've been doing a ton of homework on this and just thinking about the massive cultural shift that's been happening in our country this last year with the pandemic and with the killing of George Floyd and um, all the conversations about race, and can you hear me? Is it? Oh, that's better. Is that better? Yeah. Is that better? So all the conversations about race and, and even what Jeremiah shared on Sunday, clearly, we all feel that feel that there is tension, right? You can feel it when we have those conversations. And there's so many things that are behind that. Our culture is so complex. And then, and then you've got um, uh, people who are claiming to be Christians that storm the Capitol on the other end. There's, there's just so much going on. So it's like, how do, we, how do we as Christians think about engaging a world that feels chaotic, out of control, um, hard to wrap our minds around? So we could talk about so many things. What we are going to talk about today is identity. We're going to talk about identity today and we're going to talk about identity next week. Um, I think what, what I really want for you guys is for you guys to become critical thinkers of our culture and to be able to um, understand the waters that we're swimming in. So what I mean by that is um, be able to identify cultural narratives and see how it lines up with the Bible, take it through a biblical lens, synthesize it into your situation, and be able to apply it so that you can talk to people about the gospel. But getting there would be like, um, have you guys seen The Matrix? who's seen The Matrix. Yeah. Very few of you, because it came out when most of you were born. But um, <laughs> the plot, basically, the plot of The Matrix is we live in a dream world, and the actual world we are all are farmed. We're like on these plots of land, and um, the movie is about people waking up and fighting back against this basically this machine that controls humanity, and. But they have to live in the dream world to pull more people out. And so there's this scene where the main character, Neo, is learning how to fight in the dream world, and they hook him up to a machine. They plug him in, and they teach him Kung Fu. And he like, does this, and he goes, Whoa, I know Kung Fu. And it was like, just like that. And he's like, I'm no, Kung Fu. I wish we could do that about culture. I wish I could just teach you everything about culture. But the reality is, I don't know everything about culture. I'm still learning. I'm, I've been doing hours of homework not even for this talk, just hours of homework thinking about how can we as Christians think about this culture, and it is hard to wrap my mind around it, and so I say that because I want you guys to get interested in it and be thinking about how do we engage culture as Christians, and it's, it's really a lifelong endeavor. This is going to keep changing, and so, but we're going to talk specifically about identity. This week, we're going to talk about identity formation as a Christian, how it should be, how we should be thinking about our identity, and next week, we're going to really dive into how our culture shapes our identity and and how our culture talks about identity today. So so, um, the reason we're going to talk about identity is because I think what you believe about your identity not only affects who you are, but primarily affects how you live and behave in your life. So your identity, what you believe about your identity not only affects who you are, but primarily affects how you live and behave. So as we're thinking about Christians, and we're thinking about engaging culture, whatever you believe your identity is, that is how you're going to engage culture. And there's been a lot of different responses to our culture, right, from people who call themselves Christians.
1: So when you're done writing that down, what I want you
0: to do with the people around you is just answer this question. What have you liked about how Christians have engaged culture, and what have you not liked? Just talk with people around you. to we'll be completely honest. will give you a couple minutes to do that. <laughs> so, uh, I, I recently read a book. It's a really short book. Actually, Billy put it on the slide as one of the books to read. It's called Reaching the West Again by Tim Keller. It's like 60 pages. If you go online to his website, you can get it for free and listen to it. Um, it And I think it's a really great resource. So. Tim Keller would say he, he's identified three bad strategies for how Christians have engaged culture. So here they are. Um, the first one is withdrawal. We just withdraw into our own communities. And what that means is we don't really in, interact with anybody who doesn't do the same thing as us. We are silent on everything. The second one is domination. We primarily see this politically and in the Twitter sphere right now, the way the Christians are, are engaging. By domination. Or even it can be in evangelism, the way that people um, feel they need to push the gospel. Or you, you could, um, I have family and friends who would say things like, we need to get back to what we were. And because we need to get back to what we were, therefore we need to like make things happen. And, and change things. And so domination is one. And then the last one is assimilation. What assimilation means is we morph into culture. We become like culture. It doesn't, we don't look any different from culture. And uh, the most attractive one to me is assimilation. Personally, the most attractive one for me is assimilation because then I'm not ruffling anybody's feathers. And I'm not going to I'm not gonna have to deal with that stuff. I look like culture, so um, I'm not going to have this problem. So that's that's personal. Uh, At the end, I'm going to have you guys answer the question, which one you guys think you resonate with the most. But um, these are all bad strategies. And like I said before, what you believe about your identity, I'll go back to that. Um, What you believe about, well, that's not it. There it is. Okay, what you believe about your identity not only affects who you are, but primarily affects how you live and behave. So your identity is really affecting whether or not you withdraw, dominate, or assimilate to culture. What you think about your identity is affecting those things. Those are three bad strategies. We don't want to do those things. We want to engage culture because we want culture to know Christ. But we don't want to do it in a a domineering way. We don't want to... um, The Bible clearly says that that's bad. Love is kind. Love is patient, right? So so we know that that's not a good idea, and we cannot assimilate, because if we assimilate, then we forsake Christ. We walk away from him. You can't do that. So um, we're going to talk about what your identity is, how you should be thinking what what your identity is. So um, here it is. This is your identity. As a Christian, primarily, you are a blessing. So some of you when you see that you are a blessing, think kinda like this me. <laughs> <laughs> um I think this is so funny. I saw this a few years ago. I, I just think the bow on the head is just icy. I love it. So some of you guys think like this, and um, the humor of this is that you go to great lengths, great lengths to get recognition, right? You want people to know that you're a blessing. The sad thing about this is that we do feel a need to do this, right? I I do this. I feel a need to do this. And so when I say a blessing, some of you are like, that's right, I am a blessing. And that's not what I mean, that's not what I mean. You are, you. are Of course you are a blessing, but blessing is meant to move outward, not inward. You're not made to gain inward recognition, you're made to bless other people. And so that doesn't have it. Others of you think more like this means, so, the humor of this is that fatalism is a silly way to approach life, right? Like, this person is literally looking at a shampoo bottle for the answers to the problems on the inside, right? And that doesn't make sense. The sad thing is that uh, I would wager a lot of you in this room actually feel this way and, and feel worthless, feel like you don't have anything to offer, feel like you're not a blessing, and, what I want to convince you of, or what I deeply want to convince you of, is that you are a blessing. You were made in the image of God. You are a blessing. And so, let me pray and we're going to look at the Bible. God, would you help us to see that we are a blessing? That's who you created us to be. We were made in your image because you love to bless, and that's what it means. For us to reflect your images to be a blessing. So, would you help us to see that? I pray that you would help real belief to happen, that people would believe you love them. And uh, we bless because we've, we've been blessed. And you nail that point for people tonight. So, I pray that Jesus is gonna be on. Okay, so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. So if you guys have your Bibles, you can open them up, and we're going to be camping out in this the rest of the time. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16, I'm going to read it. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So, we're going to answer three questions with this. The first is, why are we a blessing? What is Jesus saying? Why are we a blessing? The second is, how is it that we can be a blessing? And the third is, What does it look like to be a blessing? So why are we a blessing? How is it that we can be a blessing? And what does it look like to be a blessing? So um, we're gonna talk about why why are we a blessing. So we are a blessing. The answer is because it's who you were created to be. You were created to be a blessing. Here's how we know this. This passage was written before the church was created, before Jesus' death and resurrection, he said it to everybody who's on the hill. He said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. A city is set on a hill. It's not hidden. People can see it. That's who you are. As humans. This isn't even, we're not even talking about after Christianity. We're saying as humans, this is what we were created to be. So um, Jesus said we are. And it's how we can reflect God most clearly. For the world. Us being a blessing is how we can reflect God most clearly to the world. So, it, he says um, in, in um, verse, what is it? verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So, why does that reflect God? Because God is good. Right? God is a good God, and so when you do good things, when you bless others, you reflect who God is, and it brings... Back to who God is, so um, God is a blessing, and I, I, I want—I I really want to impress this point. So uh, I want you to nerd out with me for just a minute, okay? I'm gonna tell you a couple of Greek words, and you can take this with you, okay? But um, God is a blessing. So um, here's what I want you to do: write down. If I were to ask you, who is God fundamentally? Who is God? the foundation of who he is. Who is he? Write that down. What would be your answer? Okay, You don't have to share it with anybody who would you say God is. It has to be a sentence or less. Or a word. You could just say a word. Who is God? Phone right. For a long time, my answer to that when I've been talking to students at M, has been God is the source of all creation. He's so the creator. And he is the purpose of all creation. So everything goes back to He's, he's the ruler. He's, it all goes back to him. But I've been challenged recently. I'm, I'm reading a book on the Trinity, and I've been challenged in that. Because, it, maybe you said creator as, as the thing. If that's fundamentally who God is, then he needs creation in order to be who he is. But we know God existed before creation, right? So it can't be that he is fundamentally creator it can't be that he's fundamentally a ruler because if he was fundamentally a ruler, then he would need something to rule, right? But we know that God existed by himself for all of eternity, right? So what is it that God is fundamentally? Okay, so now again, this is where we're getting into the whatever, up here. Um, So just stay with me. So um, basically, this this guy makes a case um, that God fundamentally is loving. That is who he is. God is loving. He loves to pour out to, to others. Um, and that's why we believe in the Trinity. And we, we, we see biblical evidence for it, but the Trinity, God has been loving, living in loving community for all of eternity past. And Muslims have a hard time answering this question. They would say God is fundamentally loving, but if God is only one, if he's not a Trinity, if there's only one of him, then he needs something else to love. But our God does. In the Trinity, God has always existed in love. So, Here's where we're gonna nerd out, okay? His hypostasis is found in his ex We're gonna explain this, okay? I just, I really wanna impress this point on you because you were made in his image, and he is a blessing, and so you should be too. So, here's what I mean by hypostasis. Hypostasis means something like foundation. Hypo is understasis, something which stands or exists. So kinda like the underpinnings. Hypostasis describes the Father's being, what is foundational to him. ex is a word to do with being beside yourself or being outside yourself. So ek comes from out from stasis, something which understand exists. And what we've been seeing is that the Father, Son, and Spirit have their hypostasis in exstasis. They have their hypostasis. Who they are is in their pouring out. That's who they fundamentally are, okay? So this is where we bring it together. God's innermost being, hypostasis, is an outgoing, loving, life-giving being. That's who he is in his innermost being. Loves to pour it. The triune God is an ecstatic God. He is not a God who pours his life, but one who gives it away, as he would show in that supreme moment of self revelation on the cross when he died for us. So, um, here's, here's what I mean. Um, we've talked about this passage several times. Genesis 1, verse 26, it says, God said, let us make man in our image. Male and female, he created them. When he said, let us make man, we see the Trinity, let us, let us make man in our image, what did he mean by us being in his image? This is what he meant. Who we were created to be was like him. Our hypostasis is supposed to be found in our exostasis, our our ability to pour out to other people. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's, let's bring this all back. When God said, let us make man in our image, what he's saying is, let us make a people that will reflect our nature, which is outpouring. It is overflowing. It is delightful. Loves to delight in others. Loves to pour out to other people. Rather than go inward. And it is so contrary to our culture. So, um, an example. When I say the word frozen, what's the first thing that you think of? You think of the movie. Yep, yep, okay. Uh, What (laughs) in the movie do you think of when you think of the word Frozen. Okay. Okay. What song? What song do you think of? Let it go. Let it go. So, so in that, th- think about this. Think about this. What is the plot? What, what is the plot of Frozen? At the very end of the movie, what happens? Anna Anna gives her life, self-sacrificial love, right? But that is that is such a small part of the movie in comparison with, you know, Elsa looking marvelous. And, she, you know, she's just, like, her hair's flowing, you know, and she's, like, here's a big castle, and her kingdom gets wrecked. <laughs> and there's, like, a big cave troll that comes out, you know, and it's, like. So, it, like, it is, it is devastating, the effects of her living inward and not outward. And her whole, that whole scene, the whole scene of the song, Let It Go, was born out of insecurity, right? She was, like, I don't feel like I belong. And because I don't belong, I'm going to let it go. But that's what we remember in the movie because it's it's so intoxicating, the idea that within me, I could have the power to create what I want, all of my desires could be fulfilled with what I want to do. It's intoxicating, but it's a lie. And the the movie actually paints it really well, because at the end of the movie, Anna is is the the shining figure. Anna's the one who, who sacrificed herself, right, for Elsa, and Elsa didn't deserve it, right? Elsa wrecked everything, and Anna sacrificed herself for her sister. So, but we don't, we don't primarily remember the plot of the movie, we remember Let It Go, because it, I think it's, it's such a powerful, intoxicating idea that we could um, get what we want. Um, same thing in Star Wars. Rey, at the end of the movie, what does she do? If you haven't seen it yet, the only people who care about seeing the movie have already seen it. Um, at the end of the movie, what does Ray do? Ray buries the lightsabers in the sand, right? As if it's kind of like, what we want. is for Ray to carve her own path, right? Not listen to Everett Palpatine, not listen to Luke Skywalker because he's pretty dopey in those movies. We want her to carve her own path. As a woman, carve her own path. And what she does is say, I'm redefining good and evil. We don't need the light side of the force, we don't need the dark side of the force. We need to get rid of that. We need to redefine reality. And that's what I'm doing. That's what we want because We like that. It's an intoxicating idea to say that we can create what we want, right? So um, it it is so contrary to culture to say, my life is not about me. My life is for someone else. But what I want to convince you of is you will be most happy when you function as a blessing for other people. I tell the same thing to my kids. You will be most happy when you are not disobedient, when you walk with God. And that's what sin is. Sin is taking something that should be towards God and enjoying Him, and loving other people, and making my life about other people, and then turning it inward, and saying, at the end of the day, it's about me. Even if it's a good work, it's about me and the recognition that I can get. That's what sin is, and and I wanna convince you that living as a blessing for other people is a good thing. But the problem is, all of us are like Elsa, right? All of us want that, and we all have temptations in our life how, that we live like that. And so, the question is, how is it that we can be a blessing? Can you move to the next slide? because we'll not. So, how is it that we can be a blessing? Um, Max Stiles, I don't know if you guys know who that is. He wrote a book on evangelism. Heard him say this a couple years ago at New Conference. He spoke at New Year's Conference. He said, the world is like a old sunken ship in the ocean. And if you were a fish and you were going around it, you would see that there are many treasures. Right? In the world we can see there's many treasures. But you would also see there is a profound sense that something is deeply off. Something is deeply wrong. And that wrongness starts with us, with the sin inside our hearts that makes us want to cave in as opposed to as opposed to go out. But um This is the beauty. We're going to get to this in a couple of days in Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. What Christ did was he had equality with God, but he didn't consider the recognition of God as something to hold on to. Why? He was willing to become a servant, become obedient even to the point of death, so that we would know him. And what did God do after he did that? He exalted him above everybody else. Why? Because that is fundamental to who God is. He loves pouring Christ made the greatest sacrifice of all. And and that's who who we're called to be. But um, the the reason that we can be a blessing for other people is because we have been blessed. That's the answer. How can we be a blessing? Because we have been blessed. And if you do not love how you have been blessed, you will not be a blessing. If you don't feel gratitude and thankfulness, you will not be a blessing. And um, in my life, what, what I've experienced is Jesus is very kind in those moments. Revelation three twenty says, "I stand at the door. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and with me." And so, if you feel a lack of gratitude for what Christ has done for you, pray about it. Pray that God would show you what He's done for you. And the more that you're Hypostasis. Your your foundation is is in God blessing you. The more you're going to be a blessing for other people. But you cannot be a blessing if you haven't been blessed, right? That's why we seek recognition because we don't feel like really, we've like we've been blessed. So we look for it elsewhere. Um, so that's how we can be a blessing. Um, now, last lastly, hold on, I got it back. what does it look like to be a blessing? Here's the answer. Good works that reflect God's goodness. Good works that reflect God's goodness. That is how we can be a blessing. So, Matthew chapter 5. What does this look like? He talks about um, us being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And both of those things, being salt and light, are meant to lead us back. So, um, you were blessed to be a blessing so that others will see the ultimate blessing, which is God. That's, that's the process. You bless. You were blessed by God to be a blessing to others so that they, they will uh, say, God is good. God is good. So, well, we're going to talk, what does that look like? First, he talks about light. So, light is not... Simply pushing back darkness, but it completely eradicates it. Right in this verse, he says, "We're a of the We're sitting on a hill. Where light is, there darkness is not." Right, and light is substantive. We know that from physics. Light has a real substance to it. Darkness does not. So it does not simply push it back, but it eradicates it. Um, now, let's let's put those as the, the three ways we engage culture. Light does not withdraw, but it creates more light. Jesus said, "A city set on the hill." You don't put that under a basket. You can't do that. Light shows who it is to, to the rest of the world. Um, it isn't domineering, and we know that because of 1 Corinthians 13 and everywhere else in the Bible, <laughs> watching the way that Jesus interacts with people, it is not domineering. It is patient and merciful and kind. That That's what light looks like. But light always wins against darkness. Light does not assimilate to darkness. They're not the same thing. And so we can't, Um, become confused and assimilate to to culture. Which means that we need to be students of the Bible. And we need to understand what the Bible is saying. Um, So, what does that actually look like, though? What does it look like to be light? I'll give you a few examples just from the last few days that I've seen on project. Light looks like Nick Hodge standing up in front of everybody on Sunday and saying, if any of you have had a terrible relationship with your father, I'd love to listen to you and pray with you. That's what light looks like. That was beautiful. That was a wonderful thing to do. That's what light looks like. It, it looks like Jeremiah coming and helping us understand darkness and seeing how the world is not right and how we can fight for there to be light in the world. Um, it looks like Lena, our babysitter, for the first two weeks, and now she's Ari Lucas's Lucas' babysitter. No, Ari Lucas has gotten here. Um, she's their baby. She was their babysitter the whole time and Ari Lucas could come. So, We were blessed to have her. Her coming up to me and saying, hey, if you guys ever need help in the next couple of weeks, I'd love to continue to help you guys when I have free time. Even though she's strapped with with helping Lucas and Ari, she wants to do that. Um, What else? Um, Light looks like Dan and Elizabeth knowing that Justine and I are stressed because of some family issues and saying, hey, we'd love to take your boys out to the Golden Egg because our boys love the Golden Egg and they love Dan and Elizabeth. Um... Last year, we were moving into our house and um, into the house we currently live, right after spring break was when we were going to move. We were going to have two weekends where we were going to have about 40 people come over and do a ton of work. We had about a $5,000 budget and there was going to be a ton of work done. And then when we were on spring break, the pandemic hit and I had to do it all myself. And Reed Jillick, FaceTiming me while I'm doing electrical work and I'm scared to death that I'm going to die. And and he came over and he tore down an entire wall with me and helped me put up another door, even though he was really, really busy. Um, That's what it looks like to be the light of the world. For the sake of other people, using the gifts and the talents that you have for the sake of others, using the experiences that you have for the sake of other people so that they might know Christ. And I, I think that you probably intuitively know what it looks like to be the light of the world, and you just need to ask yourself, what could I do today? to be the light of the world for other people. What could I do today to be a blessing to other people? But I don't want to end there because um, there really is um, a mission that we've been given, a task that we've been given on earth. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations and baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I want you to know I am not expecting that the way in which I do evangelism is the way that you guys are going to do evangelism. I'm a very extroverted person. Love to relate to people, love to hang out with people. And some of you guys are like, I spend like thirty minutes with my room and I'm like getting a hotel so that I can be awake for the night, you um, which is fine, everybody everybody's different. So what I'm not saying is I'm I want your evangelism, your desire to share the gospel people to look just like mine. But what I am saying is I want every single one of you guys to be involved in somebody in your life knowing Christ. For the rest of your life. One of these uh, Max Stiles in his book on evangelism, he said Um, Since he was a young man, he has prayed that God would help him um, be a part of one person coming to know Christ every single year. And he said, I'm in my 60s, and every single year, God has allowed me to do that. I think that's a great goal. Would you pray that you could be a blessing in that way? Not that you would lead someone to Christ necessarily, but that you could be a part of one person coming from darkness to light, realizing that they have sinned, realizing they need a Savior, gaining the Holy Spirit, Gaining the promise of eternity. Then beginning to live as light and live as a blessing for other people. Just would you pray that, that God would allow you to be a part of that? So it doesn't mean that your evangelism is going to look like mine. But it does mean that you would be in, engaged in it in some way. So lastly, let's let's talk about salt. Wait, did I? Okay, yeah, okay, hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, so um, in this passage, let's go to uh, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. Okay, that's how he starts, but I'm ending with it. You are the salt of the earth. And I was I thought a lot about this. What does he mean by salt? And as I've looked at different passages when we talk about salt in the Gospels, it is always centered around actually culture and how people are uh, engaging with you as a as a person. And it seems that salt has something to do with um, persistence. Um, And I I would say, this is my definition of salt, living with conviction. Living with conviction. So what I mean by that is, you have a conviction about your life, and um, no one can change that. So the the fundamental conviction would be that you are a blessing. And for me, one of the convictions that I presently feel with Justine is, we want to do evangelism in a post-Christian culture in an urbanized setting. That's that's the conviction that we feel. And so because of that, I, in my free time, am spending a lot of time thinking about evangelism to Minneapolis and, and thinking about our culture because that's that's the conviction that I feel. So what does conviction actually look like? And here's, here's Dan Stein made this about me. <laughs> so um, this is this is the ongoing joke of our team. You know, I bought this backpack um, when I first came on staff like six years ago, and people heard about it for like three or four years. Um, When I get excited about things, I can't help myself. I just, I want everybody to know about the thing that I've been And so, if you're a U of M student, you have heard my spiel about kettlebells multiple times. If you're not a U of M student, you may have heard it, because I've talked to a lot of people about it. I love working out with kettlebells. Now, here's here's my point with all of this. I have a personal conviction that working out with kettlebells is very healthy and good for me as a 30, turning 31 this summer, old male. I think it's a very, very good thing for me, okay? Now, I'm not gonna give you my spiel. I feel tempted to. I'm not gonna give you my spiel. But my point is this. Because I care about it, and that's the word, care. Write that down, care. Living with conviction means that you care. Because I care about kettlebells, no one had to tell me to get up in the morning to do it. Nobody had to help me problem solve where I was going to do it, where I was going to get the money to buy kettlebells, what the program was going to look like, what would be feasible for me with um, my size and weight and strength and all of that. I figured all that out myself, simply because I care. If you care, if you do not care, it's it's not going to happen. There's a um, there's a guy named Merlin Mann. That's actually his name. Um, he is uh, a productivity guru, a nerd, and Nick would like him. Um, but yeah, I'm in or I'm in or like work. but um, he, uh, he he said that. Um, Bottom line, if you do not care, you will not be a productive individual. If you don't care about what you do, you're not going to be a productive individual. You must care. You must care. So if you are going to be a blessing to other people, you must care about other people and what you're doing. And so um, because I cared, I have become very creative in how I work out, and I am very curious about it. And so I know a lot about (laughs) kettlebells. In the same way if you care about evangelism you will learn a lot about it you will be curious about it and you will creatively problem solve any issue that you seem to arise so for instance this last week we had people come over from four to seven and in my mind i'm thinking okay um there was it was awesome it was it was wonderful and i'm also like um, what can we do better next time? Could we get the tables in a different way so it's a little bit more streamlined? Could we have like people over in one corner that would be ready to help? No, but that might be weird because then it would be like, you know. Than that. But my mind is my because I care about it, because I care about it, and because I really care about teaching you guys how to do evangelism in your life. I'm thinking about all of those things, and and that's what I'm saying. When you invite coworkers and they didn't come, care would say, okay. Why didn't that work? What? <laughs> Am I weird? You know like, was I awkward in the way that I talked with them? And you will fail a hundred times and it will be worth it to you because you care about it. And you'll figure out how to do it. But if you don't care, you will do it maybe on project. Maybe. And you will walk away and never do it again. Unless somebody is telling you that you have to do it. And, and that's not what I want for you guys. I want you guys to care because I really do believe that if you guys grab onto the idea that you are a blessing you were made in the image of God, you are glorious. You have so much to offer this hurting world. I want you to believe that because you will be happiest if you function that way. If you can grab onto that, the things that the Lord could do in your life and the Lord could do through you are wonderful. And that's what I want for you. So, your blessing. Um, we should not end on this slide. Let us flip the next one. Okay, so, what you believe about your identity not only affects who you are, but it primarily affects how you live and behave. And in a hurting world where people withdraw, where people, Christians, are dominating, or where Christians are simply assimilating into culture, I don't want that for you. And I think, fundamentally, there's an issue with your identity if that's going to happen. What I want you to think is, I am a blessing. I have something to say about who Christ is. And I want people to know that. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll do a couple questions. Father, I pray you would help us to grasp that we are a blessing because we were made in your image and you love to bless. So would you reveal yourself to us? Would you help us to see who you are and would that lead to when we go to work at Walmart tomorrow or Chick-fil-A or at the chapel would we be looking for ways to bless the people around us in small ways, in very very small ways would we we say we're the light of the world and we want to display God's goodness in any way that we can. So for the sake of them possibly Thank you for listening to this message from the 2021 Summer Training Project hosted by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church. Please feel free to share this message with others, but please don't charge, edit, or alter the content in any way without the written permission of Campus Outreach Minneapolis.